<laughs> yep. Children are dismissed. Don't die. <laughs> yeah, so I figure we'd play through, I don't know, two to three verses of how deep the Father's love for us. I guess we'll just go ahead and do the three. Um. <laughs> Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Does that bring you joy? Joy? Does that bring you joy? In our relationship with God, one thing we need to remember as we study his word and learn his laws and come to know who his son was and come to have his spirit live within us by grace through faith We've got to remember the joy of the relationship. Without the joy, it's not going to be any fun. Without the joy, it's not going to be the kind of relationship God wants with us. Without the joy, well, you don't want that. And we'll see in Ezekiel chapter 16 where the joy comes from. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 16. And on the back of your bulletin, uh, you have our reading plan in front of you. If you're reading through Ezekiel with us, uh, you'll see that this coming week, you can read Ezekiel 17 through 24 to prepare for next week's sermon. In our sermons, we're going to summarize some of what we're reading in the big chunk of reading we have, uh, but we're only going to be preaching on a specific passage. You'll see today, I only have a little bit of Ezekiel 16 today, even though we read a lot more than that this past week. And so this coming week, if you read Ezekiel 17 through 24, uh, Travis won't be preaching through every single word of all of those chapters. And parents, as a reminder, uh, some of these passages include quite interesting and strong language, especially chapter 23 this coming week. Don't turn there now, but chapter 23 describes the north and south of Israel, Samaria, and Jerusalem as adulterers. It's not light bedtime reading. Well, our main text this morning is Ezekiel 16, 59, all the way through 63, which is the end of the chapter. I'm going to read first. I'm going to pray first, and then I will read our passage. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, foul we to the fountain fly. We've sinned. We've rebelled. We've walked away from you. And you so loved this world that you sent your only son, your highest treasure. You gave him for us to redeem us and to give us the joy of a relationship with you. So, Father, this morning, give us joy as we read your word. Give us joy as we see your truth. Give us joy as we hear from you. And give our hearts the ability to receive your message with obedience and joy. Help us enjoy you today. We know, Lord, that you enjoy your family. Thank you for your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel 16, verse 59 through 63. This is the joyful word of our Lord. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done. 
you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant, yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. And I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame. When I atone for you, for all that you've done, declares the Lord God. Well, whatever's going on in this passage and in the previous few chapters, even with all of the wickedness, all of the evil, all of the rebellion of God's people, which sent Ezekiel and his Israelite uh, compatriots into exile, already they're in exile and God's got this message to the exiles through Ezekiel. Whatever is going on, all of that mess, it ends with an incredible thought that God has for his people, his beloved his children. Look at the last line of verse 63. When I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord. Now, if you read your Bible, you know that Israel did the things. They did the things. They did the stuff. They ran away. They set up false gods. They worshiped other gods. They said, God, I love you, but I love all these other things more than you. And I'm running to them today and not to you. They, they broke the marriage relationship with God. They broke the covenant. They broke their promises. They sinned. They failed. They were unfaithful. And someone had to pay for that. Someone had to make atonement for all of those sins. And in the face of all of that, what do we read? God says, I will do it. Everything my people have ever done, I will pay for it. Every sinful thought you've ever had, I'll send my son to die for it. Every sin of commission or omission, what you did and what you should have done that you didn't do, the blood of my son Jesus will pay for you. Atonement, making payment for sins. God says, I'll buy you back. I'll spend myself on you. If my bride is in danger, take my life instead. It's the language in our chapter of marriage love, but it's the marriage of broken covenant love. Look at verse 59. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done. You who have despised the oath, like the wedding vows, in breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you. You broke it. You forgot it. You messed it up. I will remember the promise I made. God is saying to his people. Verse 60. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. I know you're a mess now. I know you're dirty now. I know you're shameful now. I know your track record now. But I remember when we got together. I remember the beginning of the relationship. I remember you in your youth when I married you. That's how God is thinking of his people after a generation of sin. 
In the days of your youth, end of verse 60, and I will establish, or that word sometimes means reestablish, keep my everlasting covenant with you. It's not just here in our passage. This whole chapter is about marriage. It's about marital love, covenant love, and that's the theme. God made a covenant with his people all the way back to Abraham and then establishes his covenant and and it develops over time with his people. And his people break it over and over and over again. And he never breaks his covenant. Not once. And this is the key contrast in the whole Bible. There is the faithful God who keeps his promises and the unfaithful people of God who've broken their promises. And what does this God do? Does he condemn? Does he crush? Does he slaughter? Does he wipe them out over and over and over? Is he sitting up there angry, watching, so that as soon as you slip up, he'll throw a lightning bolt at you? That's how the comics portray him. That's how Hollywood portrays him. That's how Hollywood portrays other gods. They're just angry and ready to strike. Is that God? No, he is the faithful God who remembers his promise and keeps it. And so in our passage, in our chapter, and in our text, we see two big themes. Two things we have to remember when we have run away from God. When we find ourselves in exile, apart from the warmth and love and care of God. Not because it's not there, but because we have run from him. God's people are in exile because of their own sins. And this is the message for them. They have to remember two things. The two points of our sermon. They have to remember the shame of sin and the joy of Of their salvation. They have to remember the shame of sin and the joy of salvation. That's the two sections of this message. And first, we'll start with the shame of sin. But before that, what happens if you forget the shame of sin? If you forget that sin is shameful and it's supposed to feel bad? And what happens if you forget the joy of your salvation? You forget how amazing the gospel is, how amazing it is that Jesus died in your place when you start to take it for granted. If you forget the shame of sin, then you will love and go after lesser things that will not be for you what you need. You'll love and go after your sins. If you forget the shame and sting of sin, you'll love and go after our sins. If you forget the joy of salvation— Well, you know this. Every one of us is in joyless relationships at times with a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, a a stranger, a, a parent, a child, right? There's joyless relationships. Who wants one of those? And if you forget the joy of your salvation, then this becomes a burden to wear and walk around burdened, obeying out of duty instead of love. And so even in the midst of the shame of their sin, God reminds them of marital love. If we forget the shame of sin, we'll go after our sins. If we forget the joy of salvation, we'll become joyless servants. And God wants neither. The shame of sin is God's tool to teach us what sin does. The law of God is to keep us safe while we enjoy him. And nobody wants a God you just have to obey. We want to enjoy him. And that's exactly how he designed us. And when his people are in exile, God wants to remind them of the marriage, of the wedding day. And that's the language. So we see this key contrast, the faithful God who keeps his promises, the unfaithful people who broke their promises. But God wants the people to remember the wedding day so that they can enjoy him again. 
The main purpose of human beings from the famous historic catechism is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we'll talk about that a bit today. So two themes. When we've run away in our sin, when we're in exile, we have to remember the shame of sin and the joy of salvation. First, the not so fun part, the shame of sin. Uh, This is in verses 61 through 63. And it's also in the chapters we read, chapters 12 through 15, if you're following our reading plan. Let me read verse 61 through 63. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you and you shall know that I am the Lord that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord. Well, earlier in the chapter, God explains who these two metaphorical sisters are. Uh, They're Sodom and Samaria. So Sodom, you know, from Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The city that famously said, yep, We're not following God. We're going in our own direction. And the Israelites are reminded of a whole city that walks away from God. And what happens? The shame of that and the destruction that that leads to. So don't go the way of Sodom. And Samaria is the nickname for the northern kingdom. So the Assyrian army comes and takes over the northern kingdom. Samaria is one of the nicknames for it. And in 722 BC, the Assyrians kick them out into exile. Well, the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, and God's people who are more faithful, more of the faithful kings are in the south. They're watching all that up north and seeing, wow, look what happened to Samaria. They set up false temples, false gods. They didn't worship God. And look what happened to them. And so Ezekiel is saying, and the Lord is saying through him, Remember Sodom, remember Samaria. Well, you're going to have these two metaphorical sisters added as daughters into your family because God is reminding you of what you've done and you're now going to be added to that list. You're going to be counted among Sodom and Samaria and then eventually Jerusalem or Judah, names for the south. So Samaria, again, a nickname for the northern kingdom. Don't forget Sodom. Don't forget Samaria. They forgot. And those are shameful stories. But Ezekiel is speaking not to Sodom or Samaria, but to the current exiles. And they have the shame of their own sins to look at right in front of their face because they had forgotten the warnings of the shame of sin. Shame is uncomfortable, isn't it? But shame is actually a feature of our design, not a flaw. Just like when you touch something hot that could burn you, you go, ouch, that's not a flaw. That's a feature of your nervous system to keep you from burning your hand. In the same way, sins make you feel ashamed. And that's a feature so that you go, ah, I'm ashamed of this. I shouldn't love this. I shouldn't keep looking at this, eating this, doing this, buying this, spending time this way. I shouldn't keep running in that direction. I feel ashamed. I should run back to the Lord who takes away my shame. Shame is a feature, not a flaw. It's God's design. And shame is a powerful reminder that we've walked away from God. So of course you don't like shame. I mean, how many of you like shame? (laughs) You're not supposed to like shame, but the shame of sin is a tool from God It's a powerful reminder that we've walked away from him. It's a feature, not a flaw. So the shame of sin, you heard it in our passage today. 
And you'll see it all through Ezekiel 16. But I'm going to briefly go over Ezekiel 12 through 15, the chapters from our reading this past week. And if you didn't read it, don't worry. I'm going to highlight just a few things because the shame of the Israelites is building up in Ezekiel's prophecy to them. And they're going to have all this shame on their minds when God reminds them of their wedding day. Okay, so the shame has a purpose. In chapter 12, uh, Ezekiel has to do another one of these sign acts where he he lives out something visibly in front of the people. And in chapter 12, uh, he has to have a pack, he has to pack his bags during the day like he's out on a journey in exile and he has to dig holes through a wall at night. And it's the life of an exile. So every day he has to go out in front of the people, pack his bags metaphorically and literally. And so the people would know, oh, we're in exile. We have to pick our stuff up and move because we've walked away from the God who gave us the land. So that's the shame of their exile. He tells that in chapter 12. In chapter 13, this one's really interesting. In chapter 13, Ezekiel has to be a prophet to the prophets. Because the prophets aren't doing their job. The prophets of Israel are going around declaring peace when there's no peace. And so the prophets of God are doing such a bad job. Ezekiel is sent in chapter 13 to be a prophet to the prophets. Ezekiel 13 verse 16 says, The prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Lord. What's the role of a prophet? Do you need a prophet voice in your life? Well, prophets remind people of their holy God and their need for a savior. That's what a prophet's supposed to do. Remember you have a holy God. Remember that you need a savior. That's what the prophets did. That's what all the prophets did. Now, sometimes they prophesied future destruction, which did come. But for the most part, it's reminding the people of their holy God and their need for a savior. But we can forget that, can't we? There's a couple of ways that we can forget that. I'll call some of these uh, different names. So there's the sinner's lie. The sinner's lie. And if a prophet is supposed to say, remember God's holiness and your need for a savior, what's a false prophet? A prophet of peace. The prophet of peace for the sinner says, oh yeah, keep doing that. Keep walking down that path of sin. You won't cause too much harm. No one's going to know. It's not hurting anyone. You can delete your browsing history and Google didn't keep a record of it. They promise. Seriously? Google knows. How much more does God know? What's on your phone? What's in your playlist? What have you watched? What do you read? What do you love? What do you desire? What's the first thing you want when you wake up each morning? God knows. But the sinner's lie is I can keep doing this. And it won't get any worse for me. That's the sinner's lie. And that's the prophet saying, everything is okay. Peace when there's no peace. But we need new hearts that desire God. So we've got to stop that sinner's lie. There's the national lie. It happened for Israel and all of Israel's neighbors. The lie goes like this. We can run a country without acknowledging the one true God and and we're going to be fine. It's going to go well. And there's been no country in the history of the world that has completely denied the one true God that has had a really easy, peaceful time. Can't do that. That's a national lie or a corporate lie. Then there's the church lie. Here's the church lie. Maybe you see this in Christian books or Christian media. Let's just be really nice and not try to offend anyone. So let's not talk about sin. 
Let's forget the shame of sin. Who wants to talk about that? Let's just say peace and happiness and love and service. And let's not make anyone feel uncomfortable. And that's what Ezekiel's prophets didn't do and Ezekiel was called to do. Ezekiel was called to say, no, actually, you have to talk about the sin. The shame of sin has a purpose for redemption to drive people back to their God who married them. Sometimes, and it's very rare here, but sometimes you need to name names. And so I'll, I'll name one. Joel Osteen is the pastor of the fourth largest church in the United States. Maybe you've seen him on TV or read one of his books. Uh, I personally, my counsel for you would be to avoid him uh, at all costs. And I don't consider him a trustworthy Bible teacher. And here's why. He's a prophet of false peace. He's one of the prophets from Ezekiel chapter 13. His main message and his most popular book is Your Best Life Now, which means a lot of really good news. I like good news. And none of the bad news. None of it. He was being interviewed a while back uh, about whether or not he uses the word sin. And here's what he said, quote, I don't use it. I never thought about it. But I probably don't. But most people already know what they're doing wrong. And you you hear a quote like that and you think, yeah, right. Most people know they're sinners who need a savior. A a man calling himself a, a pastor who refuses to use the word sin, that's actually a way that God judges his people. A prophet who only says peace when there's no peace, who only says good news when you have to talk about the bad news, that's a a false prophet. Prophets remind people of a holy God and a need for a savior. So Ezekiel has to actually be the prophet to the false prophets of peace. That's chapter 13. I'm going to move a little quicker now. Chapter 14 reminds the people of their great need, not their best life now, but rather to repent. What is the great need? If you have the shame of sin, if you're in exile, what do you need to remember? Turn back to God. Repent. It's in chapter 14, verse 6. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols. That's the message. You've run away, turn and come back. That's it. It's that simple. Do you feel the burn, the shame of sin? Don't try and hide it. Turn from it and run back to God. Maybe that's you though. Maybe you've run away from God this week and you're going to hide it. You're going to keep running from God. You're going to believe that you can keep doing it. It won't cause you any harm or no one's going to find out. Well, those are some options, I guess. There's no blessing there. There's no joy there. If you've run away from God this week, today's a great day to repent and turn back to God. If you've run away from God all of 2024, it's only March. Run and turn back to God. Maybe it's been five years. Guess what? You're still breathing today and God still loves you. Just turn back to God. That's the invitation. You know what he's thinking about? Well, you're thinking about all of the shame, all of the failure. I did it again. I failed again. I'm miserable. I'm awful. I can't believe this. I can't believe this. And the enemy, Satan, is telling you, you are awful. You don't deserve it. That's right. You, failure. You know what God's thinking of? The days of your youth when he bought you by the precious blood of his son Jesus and married you and adopted you into his family. That's what he's thinking about. You're thinking about the shame. But he already paid for the shame. He's thinking about when he first got to know you and loved you. And when your heart first understood the gospel 
And he wants you to remember the joy of your salvation so that you can turn back to him. Today's a great day to repent and turn back to the Lord. Chapter 15 is short and sweet. It's a a message about how Israel was like a useless vine because they had been faithless. So here we are again in Ezekiel. It is not fun reading, is it? If you're reading along. It's God over and over poetically and, and, and artistically trying to wake people up from their sin, from their life of sin. Exposing the shame of their sins. Painting a picture so that all can see. And there's warnings and corrections and calls for change. But you know what? That's what a lot of people think Christianity is. It's just laws and rules and warnings and calls for change. And if that's all Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it either. That's miserable. That's drudgery. That's duty. There's no joy there. Now, Christianity does have warnings and corrections and calls for change for sinners And we've correctly diagnosed the heart condition of humans. We're born with a heart of stone. We need a heart of flesh. But friends, there is something behind the scenes of all the laws and all the rules and all the word. There's something behind the scenes. And Ezekiel wants to remind us today, there's a wedding. There was a wedding day. Before you ran off into your sin, before you felt the sting of the shame of your sins, There was a wedding day. Stop thinking about all of the shame and remember the wedding day. We are designed to enjoy God. Let me ask you, do you enjoy God? Do you enjoy God? During any of those songs, was there even a little bit of joy in your heart? Then your application today is to go home and sing that song throughout the week to remind your heart and mind of the joy of your salvation. Be joyful, otherwise it's drudgery. Or you'll only have the shame of sin. Do you enjoy any relationships? Do you enjoy my jokes? A police officer pulls over a guy driving a truck and he says, you know you have 12 penguins in the truck bed? And the guy's like, of course I do. They're my penguins. And the police officer says, you're going to need to take them to the zoo immediately. And he's like, all right. So he drives away. The next day, the police officer sees the guy driving the truck. And the 12 penguins are in the truck bed again. So he pulls them over again. And he said, I thought I told you to take those penguins to the zoo yesterday. And the guy goes, oh, I did. We really enjoyed it. (laughs) Today we're going to the movies. Why did I tell that story? Because you had a little joy in the laughter. I like that joke. That guy knows a relationship full of joy. He had 12 penguins and he had joy in their relationship. Why did they go to the zoo to have joy? Have you forgotten the joy of the Lord? You will be miserable. I forget the joy of the Lord sometimes and it is miserable. It's duty. It's drudgery. It's obedience without Love. Have you forgotten the joy? God's people had forgotten, and yes, the shame of their sins. And he lists them over and over. And then he says, I remember the wedding day. I want you to have joy. Did you have joy when we sang, once your enemy, now seated at your table. Stop for a minute. You get to be invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb, to sit at God's table and feast with him. Doesn't that bring you joy? What did we sing? High King of heaven, when victory's won, may I reach heaven's, what? Joys. 
Oh, bright heaven's sun. Now, it's one thing to sing about joy. It's another thing to live it out. And for some of us, joy is really hard. It's tough, isn't it? Writing at the C.S. Lewis Institute online, Gordon Conwell professor Dennis Hollinger said this. He tells a really interesting story. Listen to this. He said, a number of years ago, I was teaching a seminary class, and I explained the opening lines of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The 17th century catechism says the first question, right? You're teaching a a catechist this. What is the chief end of man? In other words, what's the purpose of being a human being? And the catechist is then to respond, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. On this particular day in class, one of my students raised her hand and said, my problem is that I can never decide which it is. If I'm really to be about glorifying God or enjoying him forever, I feel like there's this tension. Glorify, obey, honor, praise, and enjoy. So which is it? Which is it? Is it glorify God or enjoy him forever? Friends, it's both. And God says in the midst of their shame, in the midst of Israel's sin, in exile, he says, remember our wedding day. He says, think of our relationship like a marriage. Because in marriage, there is to be honor and respect and duty and promises, but also joy and love and laughter and life and fun. I read a report of uh, some really bad wedding vows that uh, are recorded online. Okay, this is how you get the marriage illustration wrong. Here's a report. I went to a former friend's third wedding and her vows consisted of rules the groom needed to follow that brought up her previous exes. She said, this was her vows during a wedding. As long as you don't spend more than two nights a week with your friends, I will love you. As long as you answer your phone when I call the first time, I will love you. As long as you don't contact your ex, I will love you. Can you imagine that in a wedding? You're starting out with the, the, the shame of past failures, not the hope of joy together. But as God's people, we begin with joy, the joy of our salvation. So we've covered the shame of sin, and briefly we'll get to the joy of our salvation. The shame of sin that in Ezekiel, over and over, God is recounting Israel's sins against him. Why? So that something will make them feel ashamed in their sins so that they turn back to the source of their joy. So that they would remember the wedding day. Not to shame them, but to redeem them. Not to keep them far away, but for them to turn and run back into his open arms. That's our God. So yes, there's the shame of sin. It's got a purpose. It's a feature, not a flaw. And the second thing is the joy of our salvation. Look at verse 60. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Stop there. This is God remembering the wedding day. He's pulling out his phone and he's showing you pictures. You remember the day of our wedding? You remember how we looked on our honeymoon? Do you remember the night of the wedding? Do you remember all this? Do you remember how much we loved each other and the promises we made? I know you broke all of your promises, but remember that I made promises and I'm never going to break them. That's what he's doing in the face of all of her sin. This summarizes God's message in chapter 16. 
I covenanted with you. I made you beautiful. I call you beautiful. I still love you. You broke it. I bought you back. You ran away. I found you. You left. I followed. You made a mess. I cleaned it up. And so prophets like Ezekiel, they remind people of their holy God and their need for a savior, but they also remind the people of the joy of their salvation. God relates to his people and thinks about his people even when they've sinned like a husband to a wife. And it's lovely and it's beautiful. He made a covenant. No promise is greater than a covenant. That's why traditional marriages, even today, use the word covenant. This Saturday, I'll be officiating a wedding and I'm going to lead the couple in making a covenant. Now, maybe they'll have rules one day about who has to do the dishes and when. And what the punishment is if all the dishes aren't done well. But they're not going to say that this Saturday. This Saturday, they're going to enter into a covenant like God entered with his people. And here are the vows. This is for the guy, the traditional wedding vows. I, the guy, take you, the gal, to be my wife. And I promise by covenant. So in my weddings, I keep the word covenant in there, the traditional vows. Before God and these witnesses, Remember, this is what God thinks of us. These are the promises he made. To be your loving and faithful husband. From this day forward, to have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in love, to love and to... I'll get it right on Saturday, I promise. (laughs) I'll have a minute while they're repeating it. To love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. As long as you live, God will keep his promise to you. As long as you live, even if you sin, today, tomorrow, the next day, God will keep his promises in sickness and health, in sin and repentance, in running away, in failing, in falling, and in being picked back up again by your good shepherd. God will keep his promises. Yes, the shame of sin has a purpose, but remember the wedding day. Remember what God thinks of you. It's the language of Jesus, God's son, our groom. We are his bride. And he made a covenant. In human marriage, we make vows, but in our marriage to Jesus, as his bride, we were the ones who broke our wedding promises. We've sinned against Jesus. And so in our marriage, our sins got in the way. And so someone was going to have to make atonement to restore the relationship. Who would it be? Verse 63. That you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame. In other words, remember what you've done and don't speak about that. When, here it is, when I atone for you, for all that you've done, declares the Lord God. We've got here the shame of sin and the joy of salvation. We sang it in Rock of Ages. What can we do to atone for ourselves? Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. We can't atone for our sins. We needed a Savior. Thou must save and thou alone. Well, praise be to God that God did one day send a greater prophet than Ezekiel to the people. Not to remind them of their shame, but to be the atoning sacrifice on the cross for the sins of all of his people. Every sin, past, present, 
and future that we might remember the joy of our salvation. So if you've lost the joy of your salvation, you have to remember the wedding day. You have to remember the gospel, the good news that your sins needed someone to pay for them. And God sent his only son to atone for you. So we can enjoy him forever because God also enjoys us. Do you believe that? Our job is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But do you know that God is enjoying this worship service more than any of us? His children are gathered together in fellowship and worship and prayer and accountability and and praying for one another and bearing one another's burdens and, and being united with each other. God loves this moment. It brings him great joy. And he wants us to enjoy that. In fact, the way God remembers the wedding day for his people, Israel, the start of that relationship, it's earlier in Ezekiel 16. If you have a Bible open, we're going to peek real quick there. Ezekiel 16, verse 8 through 15. This is like the wooing, dating, engagement, wedding night, you know, uh, honeymoon phase. I talked about all the shame and how God remembers that moment, but I didn't read it yet. So let me read it. Ezekiel 16, 8 through 15. This is God. This is not a Taylor Swift song. It's not on the radio. This is God remembering the relationship he started with you. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. This is God remembering his people. I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrist, a chain on your neck. I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Verse 13. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. And your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. You became a king or a queen. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. That was not a Hallmark card. This is God remembering, even though the shame of his people's sins are on their mind, he's remembering this. That's why we call it amazing grace, not boring grace. And he made us beautiful. But what did we do? Where does the joy come from? Remembering the gospel. Because if you still have your Bible open, look at verse 15. God made us beautiful. Verse 15, here's the shame. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. Stop there. God is reminiscing of his metaphorical wedding day. He's thinking, I gave you money and resources and a a palace and you squandered all of that. And you thought you had everything you needed. And so you went and trusted in yourself. I kept you safe. So you thought you had no danger and you ran away from me outside of my plan and my laws and 
got yourself in trouble. I made you beautiful. I made you so beautiful. And this is idolatry. What you did was, with the beauty I gave you, you put yourself out there hoping all the other guys would tell you you're beautiful. Why didn't you trust me? I made you beautiful. I think you're beautiful. I still want you to feel how much I think you're beautiful. You don't need anyone else to tell you. So Israel needed a savior, someone to make atonement. Look at the end of verse 63. When I atone for you, for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. Well, he sent his son Jesus to be that atonement. And this changes our hearts and it gives us hearts of flesh that don't just want to obey God, but who want to enjoy God. And so if you want to study this week, Romans 5, 1 through 5, it ties in the shame and the atonement and the joy of God in one brief way. Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. He covers the shame because why? God's love has been poured into our hearts. It was always about love. It was always about God wanting us to know we're beautiful in his eyes. Yes, the shame is a tool that makes us want to run back to him, but he's not thinking of the sin and the shame. He paid for it. He's thinking of how beautiful you were when he first saved you. That's the heart of God. God's love has been poured into our hearts. So when we run away from God and get ourselves into exile, we must remember the shame of sin and the joy of salvation. We need both. Or we'll run after our sins because there's no shame. Or we'll be joyless servants because there's no joy. So how am I going to close this message? I'm going to call you to joy, and then we're going to have some fun. For all God's people, hear the calls to joy from Scripture. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. How does that work? Because you desire him, and he will give you all of himself. Psalm 32, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. God wants you to be so joyful that you shout for joy sometimes, thinking about his goodness and what he thinks of you. Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Well, we've done some singing and we'll do some more. And Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So this week, as you love other people this week, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God, delight in the Lord as you love people. This week, as you stand up for what's right, do that in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God, and delight in it. This week, as you forgive other people, Do it in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God, and delight as you forgive people. As you work towards peace in your relationships, do that in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God, and delight in him while you do it. In all you do, delight in the Lord. Otherwise, you'll be doing everything in the name of you, by the power of you, 
for the glory of you. And you'll try to find your delight in that. There's not enough joy in you apart from the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. God made atonement for us through Jesus Christ. And in light of that, God puts his joy in our hearts that we might enjoy him forever. So in a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, remembering the atonement. But let's have a little joy first. Join me, if you will. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Let's pray. Lord, we're joyful right now. We sang a joyful song. We believe what your word says, that you put your joy in our hearts. But Father, sometimes we forget it. So restore unto us today the joy of our salvation as we celebrate your son's supper, our Lord's supper. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. And Father, if we've been running away from you into sin, let the shame of sin not shame us because Jesus has paid for that. Let the shame of sin Remind us to run and repent and turn back to you because you don't think of that shame. You don't even think of our sins. You remember the wedding day when you made us beautiful. You're such a good and loving God. Help us find our joy in you today. Help us glorify you and enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.